And with that, please make sure you have your Bibles on hand as we dive into God's word together. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one. There's a a certain Olympic moment that probably is my favorite Olympic moment of all time. And it took place in the 1992 Barcelona, Spain Olympic Games. So back in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a runner from Great Britain named Derek Redmond. Derek was working so hard to become one of the fastest men on earth. And his specialty was the 400-meter race. He, in that 400-meter sprint, would run like the wind. Now, 400 meters is one full lap around a track. And so he trained hard in the late 80s and early 90s. And by the time those Olympic Games rolled around in 1992, he was on a lot of running experts radar as one who might win gold there in Barcelona. And so in the quarterfinals of that 400 meter race, Derek Redmond finished first in his heat. He was looking really, really good. And then the semifinals began. And it's that semifinal race that it's one of the most memorable moments in Olympic history. I want you to watch it for yourself. Derek began in lane three, came out of the block strong, and was looking really, really fast in the first half of the semifinals. He passes the 200-meter mark, but as he gets around 250 meters, something happens. Derek grabs his right leg, and falls to the track below. He had just tore his hamstring. There he is grimacing in pain, experiencing some of the worst pain in his life while all the other runners finish. Derek was on that track, but he didn't stay there very long. He gets up and he hobbles as quickly as he can toward the finish line. And he hobbles about 50 meters, but then all of a sudden, someone comes out of the stands Some old guy comes out of the stands and makes his way to Derek. He comes up to Derek, puts his arm around him, and starts hobbling toward the finish line with him. It was Derek's dad. He's still grimacing in pain with 100 meters to go, but he puts his arm around his dad and they keep going. An official comes up and tries to convince Derek to stop, but Derek won't stop. And so his dad shoes him away. Together, they keep making their way to the finish line. About 80 meters to go. Derek, still grimacing in pain, is pressing on. His dad waves off a higher level official, telling him they've got this. And they keep going. And they keep going. And despite the embarrassment, and despite the disappointment, And despite the pain, Derek Redmond kept the faith and he finished the race. I think of this example of a great Olympic moment. And I can't help but ask you, if Derek Redmond can keep the faith and finish the race for his country, how much more should you and I keep the faith and finish the race? For our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
I'm calling today's message, Run the Race, Part 2. Run the Race. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12. Make sure you're there in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Same passage that's going to be our home base all month long. And so I hope you become very familiar with this wonderful passage here in Hebrews chapter 12. God's Word reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. May God bless us as we study and apply his word to our lives today. Last Sunday, we began this Run the Race message series, and we spent some time together in the previous chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, which is often called the faith chapter. The writer of Hebrews begins the chapter with this powerful definition of faith from the 1984 version of the NIV. It reads this way. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's Hebrews 11.1 from the NIV. But I want to share that with you in a few different translations to allow these truths from this great verse to really sink in. The New Revised Standard Version says it this way. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. How about the New Century Version or NIV NIV 2011 actually says it this way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then finally, the New Century Version says it this way. Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real, even if we do not see it. Isn't that good? So Hebrews 12.1 gives us a handle on what faith is. Faith is something that transcends our five senses of, of sight and sound and smell and taste and touch. Faith goes beyond the realm of science Faith is being certain of things that our five senses can't perceive. Faith is holding convictions that sometimes defy logic. Faith sometimes defies what scientists and medical doctors are saying. Oh, some things can't be proven. And that's where faith steps in. That's faith. And the truth is, every one of us lives our lives by faith every single day. Some people don't like to admit it, but the truth is we all live every day by faith. Even atheists live every day of their lives by faith. I want you to think about it. Every few seconds, you inhale air, right? How many of you refuse to inhale air until you first do a toxicity test of the air you're about to breathe? Anyone? No, we just breathe in in faith, believing that that air isn't toxic, right? We do it. Every few seconds. And you don't walk around every day holding a stethoscope to your heart to make sure your heart's still beating, do you? No, in faith you believe that your heart's doing what it's supposed to do so you can move on to other things and not worry about it, right? You leave it alone by faith. You don't check all the, 
all the lug nuts in your tires, do you, before you get into your car to drive it somewhere? Can you imagine all four tires checking all the lug nuts and all the wheels before you drive it anywhere? That would drive you crazy. No, you don't check the lug nuts. You assume that no one loosened them in the middle of the night when you weren't watching. We take it by faith that those wheels aren't going to fall off our vehicles. When we get into a plane... We, in faith, believe that that pilot's going to get us where we want to go. We don't interview the pilot before we get on that plane. And we don't check the structural integrity of every toilet seat we sit on, do we? We do everything. Well, I shouldn't say everything, but we do so much of what we do every day in life by faith. Every day of your life, in hundreds of different ways, you and I walk by faith, right? We do. There's no doubt about it. But God turns to us in Hebrews 12, 1 here, and he calls us to walk by faith in God, to walk by faith in God, just like the Old Testament faith heroes who are highlighted in chapter 11. Remember a couple of those examples. There was Noah mentioned early in chapter 11. He is the guy that had to deal with that huge flood. Remember? God came to him at the age of 500. God comes to him and tells him that this huge flood was coming. And all five of Noah's senses were saying, this is nuts. (laughs) I live in a desert and I've never even seen rain in my 500 years of life. And now God's telling me rain's coming and it's going to flood everything in sight and kill everything if I'm not inside an ark. All his five senses were crying. That's nuts. All the meteorologists and weather forecasters in town were saying it's nuts. But what did Noah do? In faith, he built the ark anyway and spent a hundred years doing it, walking and working by faith. What about Abraham? Abraham, at the, as he was approaching a hundred years old, was told by God once again. He had been told before, but God tells him again, hey, in a year, your wife's going to have a baby. Abraham's five senses were saying, that's crazy. I'm 99 years old. My wife, Sarah, is 89 years old. She passed menopause 40 years ago. And even before menopause, she was barren. She was never able to have children. And now God's saying at the age of 89, she's going to have a kid. It sounded crazy. If they consulted all the OBGYNs in town, they would have said it's crazy. But evidently, no one told God because God did it anyway. Amen. And Abraham, in faith, I believe, started getting the nursery set up in their house. Amen? Abraham walked by faith. Even though it defied the senses, even though it defied the experts, he walked by faith. Well, Abraham and and Noah are such marvelous examples from chapter 11 of walking by faith. So with those two guys and many others in mind, God says there in Hebrews 12, verse 1, that's the kind of faith that I want you as a follower of Jesus Christ to have. When your five senses tell you that my promises to you don't make any sense, believe my promises anyway. And when the so-called experts around you tell you that my words defy logic and can't be proven, trust my words anyway. Know that my words are true and that every one of my promises will come to pass because you trust me more than you trust your own five senses. And you are more confident in my words than you are in an expert's words. I have called you like the Old Testament faith warriors to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen. 
He's called us to walk by faith. God has called us to walk by faith in him and in his word. But Hebrews 12.1 reminds us that it's not enough to simply walk by faith. Notice again what it says there in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. God doesn't command us to walk by faith. He commands us to what? To run by faith. We've got to run this Jesus race with some heart. We've got to run this Jesus race with some gusto. We've got to run this Jesus race like lives depend on it. Because they do. Lives depend on us running this race for Jesus well. may not be your life, but quite likely the lives of those around you. But how do we do it? How do we run this Jesus race day after day without getting tired, without getting discouraged, without losing hope? How do we do that? These are great questions. And the New Testament gives us the answers to these questions. You might not know this, but the New Testament has a lot to say about sports, especially the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul must have been a real sports enthusiast. I'm guessing he loved the Olympics and he loved to catch sports whenever he could. And so as you as you read Paul's letters, you find oftentimes he'll make analogies that tie into boxing, that tie into running and even that tie into wrestling. And so he mentions these sports analogies at various times in his epistles. And we can pull from those verses a lot to support what we've been studying here in the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12. Over the next few minutes, I want to give you six keys to running your Jesus race well. It's one thing to say, hey, church, you need to run your Jesus race well. It's one thing to say, you've got to run with gusto. You've got to run with some heart. But how do we do it, especially when times get tough? I'm going to give you six keys taken right from God's word of how you can run your Jesus race well. Key number one, draw inspiration from others. Once again, Hebrews 12:1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Look back to chapter 11, God says. Those are just a few examples of the wonderful heroes of the faith that you can look up to and emulate. Because we're surrounded by so many wonderful examples, run with perseverance. So draw inspiration from others. I think that's such a marvelous point. Christians, when you read how Noah and Abraham trusted God's words, even when God's word didn't make sense, doesn't that kind of inspire you? To follow God well when he tells you to do something that may not make sense? When he tells you something that's hard to do, something you don't want to do? Doesn't it inspire you to look at how Noah and Abraham were faithful when God told them to do things that didn't make sense? It sure inspires me. It gives us hope. It gives us uh, perseverance. It, It bolsters our faith in God to see those Old Testament heroes of the faith living out their lives in obedience to God's commands. I love how Warren Wearsby says it. He says it this way. One of the best ways to develop endurance and encouragement is to get to know the godly men and women of the Old Testament who ran the race and won. If you're having problems with your family, read about Joseph. If you think your job is too big for you, study the life of Moses. If you're tempted to retaliate, see how David handled this problem. I think that's brilliant what he says there. It's so true. Let's look at each of those three examples quickly that Wearsby mentions here. 
So you think that your family is messed up? Well, just look at the story of Joseph. Look at the story of Joseph over there in Genesis chapters 37 and 39. Jot those down if you're not going to memorize those. Just jot those two chapters down. I want you to look at the story of Joseph if your family's a little screwy. Uh, Joseph's ten older brothers hated his guts. You'll read about it right there. His ten older brothers, they hated him. They couldn't stand him. In fact, they hated him so much that when he was an older teenager and young man, they threw him into a pit. And then some slave traders were coming by, some human traffickers. And so they sell him for some cold, hard cash to these traffickers of humans and these slave traders. And they take him to Egypt. And so imagine having siblings that hate your guts so much, they throw you in a pit and then sell you into slavery. And if that wasn't bad enough, they went home and told Joseph's dad, their own dad, that their brother had died. And so there he was for years thinking his son Joseph had died, had been killed. And so these guys, man, this is a rotten, rotten family. But through it all, Joseph kept his faith in God. Through it all, he kept running his race. And if he could do it in his dysfunctional family, then you can certainly do it in yours. Amen? What about that next example that Wearsby mentions? What about Moses? You think your job is too big for you? Read Moses' story in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. You think your job is overwhelming and too stressful? Try having his job. He'd been running from Pharaoh for 40 years. And after 40 years, God speaks to him in a burning bush and says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell him, I'll let my people go. In other words, Pharaoh, God says, I want you to release one million of your very best slaves. <laughs> let them leave. And Moses says, I can't do that. Man, that's too hard. I can't go tell Pharaoh that he hates me. He wants to kill me. But that was the job that God gave Moses. And once he was successful and those one million people left Egypt, guess who had to lead them through the wilderness for 40 years? Good old Moses. You think your job is hard? You look at Moses. Through it all, he kept his faith in God and he finished his race. If Moses could do it with his difficult job, then certainly you can persevere in faith with your difficult job. Well, it doesn't stop there. Some of us would say, well, what about this third example he gives, this example of David? Well, look at this. If you've been stabbed in the back by a family member or a friend and think you could never forgive that person, read David's story in 2 Samuel chapter 16 through 18. In the early, his early adult years, David's uh, boss, King Saul, remembered, tried to kill him on at least a dozen occasions. So David for years was running for his life from Saul who kept on wanting to kill him. And so he was running from his life once David became king and he was making his way to the end of his life there in his final years, his grown son Absalom tried to take over the throne from David and Absalom, his own flesh and blood, his own son tried to kill David. Now you think you've been stabbed in the back. Try being David. Your boss stabs you in the back. Literally, <laughs> try being David. His own son wants to kill him and steal his job. Oh, David, though, he kept the faith and he finished his race. If David kept his faith in God and he was able to forgive his boss, Saul, and was able to forgive his son, Absalom, and able to forgive everyone who had wronged him and stabbed him in the back, you certainly can have grace and mercy on those who have stabbed you in the back and extend forgiveness to them as well. That's part of living out this faith journey that God has called us to live out. We have to forgive 
Well, I encourage you to be in God's Word every day this week. I'd like you to do something for me. I'd like you each day this week to look in Hebrews 11 at some of those 20 specific examples of men and women in the Old Testament who walked and lived by faith in God and finished their race well. And every day I want you to take one or two of those 20 names and I want you to go back to the Old Testament and read their story. And so you'll find that as you do that, you'll be familiar with some of those stories. We've mentioned a few of those already. You'll be familiar with Moses. You'll be familiar with Noah. You'll be a little bit uh, more familiar with David, maybe. But as you read these stories, you'll find some amazing things that you didn't realize before. I want you to look at Hebrews 11.32. Notice what it says in that verse. It says, what more shall I say? Do I not have time? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and and Jephthah. Now, two of those names are probably quite familiar to you. Gideon, remember him? God told him with 300 soldiers armed with pitchers and torches to take on 135,000 enemy soldiers from the Midianites. Imagine the odds against him. 300 against 135,000 armed with pitchers and torches. But Gideon kept his faith in God and he finished his race. Amen. You're familiar with Samson, one of the strongest men who ever lived. Samson was the guy that took out 1,000 enemy Philistines in one fight. And he did it single-handed. This guy was strong. So you're familiar with Gideon. You're familiar with Samson. But I bet you forget who Barak and Jephthah are. I encourage you to go back and look at their stories. Jephthah's is, his story is told in Judges chapter 4. Uh, Jephthah's story is told in Judges chapters 10 and 11. I want you to go back and read their stories and discover how they were able to keep the faith in God and finish their race well. Because I do believe that as you see their stories and you read their stories, it will inspire you to walk by faith and run by faith and finish your race well also. So the first key to running your Jesus race well is to draw inspiration from others. What about the second key? Key number two to running your Jesus race well, play by the rules. We see that over in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It reads this way. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. Now, let me ask you, in these Olympics, if there is a sprinter who comes out of the blocks early... What happens to that sprinter? He's disqualified, right? What about if you have a a, a swimmer who comes off the stand early and enters the pool before the horn is blown? What happens? That swimmer is disqualified. What happens if a wrestler tests positive for steroids? He's disqualified. What about if a gymnast tries to bribe a judge? (laughs) She's disqualified. So, The rules have to be followed in order for someone to win the event. We all know this, right? Much the same is true spiritually. It's true spiritually. If you break the rules, you don't get the gold medal. So, in the Jesus race that we're running, we have to follow the rules. And so the next natural question would be, what are the rules in this Jesus race that we're called to run? Well, there are three basic rules. You might want to write this down. These are pretty important. Three basic rules in this Jesus race. Number one, trust God. Number two, love God. Number three, obey God's commands. Some of you are saying, well, didn't you just tell us that a few weeks ago? Yes, I did. Because following Jesus Christ boils down to those three things. You trust him, 
you love him and you obey him. Say it with me. You trust him, you love him and you obey him. Those are the rules. If you aren't trusting him, loving and obeying him, you're not going to get very far in this Jesus race. But if you do those three things, you will be well on your way to following the rules and running this Jesus race with excellence. How about key number three to running this Jesus race well? Key number three is this. Practice self-control. Practice self-control. We find this in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. This is one of my favorite passages that has a sports analogy in it in the New Testament. It says, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul goes on to say, Therefore I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Such an important passage of Scripture. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. I love these verses. They've been on my mind a lot over the last few weeks. As I mentioned to you last week, I've I've set this goal for myself to run a half marathon down in Huntington Beach on September 11th. And I was honest with you last week. I'm not ready for it today. I've got to go into some strict training. I've got to shed five pounds. I've got to make sure I'm running more miles each week. I've got to curb my diet a bit, so I'm cutting out a whole lot of desserts and sodas and stuff like that in the month of August. And I encouraged you last week to go into some strict training to accomplish a good physical goal for yourself. I want you to experience the the victory that can come through setting a goal and, and going into strict training to attain that good, healthy goal for your body that God has given you. It's a marvelous thing. I mentioned to you last week that when I share with you these things that, hey, I'm going to run a half marathon, there's a couple possible responses. The lazy response is, hey, good for you, Pastor Dane. Good luck with that. (laughs) I'll pray for you. You know, that's a lazy response. Anyone can say good luck with that. I'll pray for you. But the active response is to say, you know what? Since he's doing it, I'm going to do something productive as well. He set a physical goal for himself. I'm going to set a physical goal for myself. And you may remember, those of you that caught last week's broadcast, I gave you five suggested physical goals to set for yourself in the month of August. Here they are again. Number one, lose five pounds. Most of us could stand to lose five pounds. Let's be honest. Number two, go on a one-mile walk every day. Number three, eliminate sodas or energy drinks from your diet. I had uh, one of the members of our church come to me a few days ago and say, yeah, Dane, I saw that list and my wife and I both decided we're cutting out energy drinks in August. That's fantastic. Those things could kill you. All the mineral buildup in the intestines, it's not a good thing to get in the habit of drinking those every day. Number four, go to the gym three days a week. And then my favorite, go on a digital detox, putting away your phone every evening and doing something active instead. Now, some of you that watched last week's broadcast, it was the first day of the month, August 1st. Some of you picked one of these five goals. Others of you came up with your own physical goal to attain by the end of August. I think that's fantastic. Whatever your physical goal is, make sure it's good and requires some strict training in order to attain that goal. So God has given us, I believe, this challenge to light a fire under ourselves physically And God will come on the heels of that fire we light under ourselves and he'll light a spiritual fire under us to help us accomplish greater spiritual goals during the month of August. 
So if you didn't catch last week's broadcast, and if you haven't started doing this yet, it's not too late. Set a good physical goal for yourself, and God will use that to help motivate you and inspire you to attain those higher, more important spiritual goals that he's going to reveal to us in the weeks to come. Key number four to running this spiritual race well, exercise. It's good for you. I could just say enough said, but I want to show you that I pull this from Scripture. I pull it from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Paul writes, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So what has greater value, spiritual training or physical training? And the biblical answer is spiritual training. But notice it says physical training has value as well. So the important takeaway, I believe, from this verse is this. There is value in physical training to accomplish physical goals, especially when it leads to spiritual training to accomplish more important spiritual goals. Now, there are all sorts of reasons why you and I should exercise regularly. It keeps our bodies healthier. It boosts our mood. Some of us are way too grumpy because we don't get enough exercise. Uh, Also, exercising uh, helps us to be able to keep up better with our kids and our grandkids. But one of the greatest benefits of exercising regularly is that it teaches us self-discipline. It does. It teaches us self-discipline. And without self-discipline, which, remember, is one of the fruit of the Spirit, without self-discipline... You and I will poop out long before this Jesus race is over. You and I need more self-discipline and physical training can help teach us it so that we can endure the spiritual race even better. Key number five to running this race well, don't sin. Why not? Well, among other reasons, sin slows you down. Hebrews 12.1 says, throw off everything that entangles or throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That's what it says in Hebrews 12.1. And I want to just make this bottom line point. I hope you never forget this because this is so important. Sin makes you weak. Say that with me. Sin makes you weak. Now personalize it. Sin makes me weak. It's true. Sin makes you weak. Do you remember what Paul says about taking communion over in 1 Corinthians 11? He says this in 1 Corinthians 11, 28 through 30. He says, A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now catch this last part. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have croaked. Well, he doesn't say it that way. A number of you have fallen Asleep, a nice way of saying they've died. So Paul is saying even communion taken in an unworthy manner is a sin that can lead to sickness. Many Christians, especially in America, have this idea that as long as I don't do drugs, as long as I don't overdrink and become a drunkard, as long as I don't have unprotected sex, my sin won't make me sick. And that is not true. The Bible is very clear that any sin can make you sick. And when I say any sin, I mean any sin. Any sin can make you sick. Your body and your spirit are interconnected. So all sin makes you weak and sick. If you want to finish this race well, you've got to stop sinning. Stop making excuses for your sin. You cast that sin away and run that race 
unhindered. Finally, key number six to running this spiritual race well, finish strong. You've heard me mention over these last couple weeks and allude to at times this great passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. Let me set the stage. Paul has a young apprentice named Timothy. And Paul writes one final letter to Timothy from his jail cell, not knowing if any minute that executioner is going to come down the hallway and kill Paul for his faith in Christ. And so he writes this one final letter to Timothy, and this is what he says in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also for all who have longed for his appearing. So you'll hear me say this fairly often. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. Just like Paul was able to say he had done there as the end of his life approached. Some of us may not have gotten off to a good start in this Jesus race. Maybe you were a little slow coming out of the blocks once you got saved. And you didn't do much for your first few months or your first few years. Well, there's nothing you can do to change that. Some of us started pretty well. We came out of the blocks fast, but like Derek Redmond, halfway through the race, we we had some issues and we fell to the track. Some of us are somewhere in the middle right now. And you know what? We haven't really done much in the spiritual race for quite some time. But you know what? Even if your start was shoddy, even if the middle of your race was lousy, you can change what you begin doing today for the rest of your life. Beginning today, you can make the decision that you are going to run this race with everything you've got and you're going to run this Jesus race well. You're going to run it with excellence and you're going to fight this good fight and you're going to finish this race and you're going to, through it all, keep the faith. Regardless of how your Jesus race started and regardless of how it's going right now, it's not too late to start running and finishing strong. You see, Jesus Christ has called you to trust Him. So finish strong by trusting Him. Jesus Christ has called you to love Him. So finish this race strong by loving Him. And Jesus Christ has called you to obey His commands. So finish this race strong by obeying His commands. Finish it strong by loving Him, trusting Him, in obeying His commands. Finish strong, Christian. Finish strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for raising the bar, for throwing out the gauntlet and giving us this challenge to run this race with excellence. God, You are far too amazing for for me to give You a half-hearted effort in this race that You've called me to run. Lord, You've been far too good to me for me, Lord, just to keep the faith sometimes or just fight the fight sometimes. Lord, I pray that with whatever amount of time I have left and each person who's listening to this broadcast right now, whatever amount of time they have left before they breathe their last breath and are called home to heaven, whatever time we have left, Lord, I pray that we would run well that we would fight the good fight, that we would finish this Jesus race and keep the faith. 
Lord, help us to do what you taught us to do in the Sermon on the Mount, to pursue righteousness and to bring some of the best things of heaven to our little corner of the world so that people can experience Christ in me and be saved as well. Lord Jesus, help us to run this race for you and finish well in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are so glad that you joined us for this broadcast today, but I don't want you to sign off just yet. If you've never made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to listen to what I'm about to say. If you already are a Christian, but you realize you've been slacking, you need prayer today, or you're going through some obstacles or challenges that are pretty tough, you realize you need a Christian to pray with you, I don't want you to go either. We're going to have some names and phone numbers on the bottom of the screen right now. And we encourage you to reach out to one of these prayer helpers if you need prayer for something or if you need to talk to someone about getting right with Christ. If you've never made a decision to accept Christ, it's not complicated. Following Him is hard, but it's not complicated to begin following Him. It's not complicated to begin the race. We like to remind people of the ABCs. A, admit that you were a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And C, choose to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord beginning today. If you made that decision to begin following Jesus Christ, I encourage you to reach out to one of us. Let us know. We'd be happy to pray with you. And we'd love to talk to you about getting baptized as soon as possible because that's one way to let the world know you're serious about following Christ. It's one of the main reasons Jesus commands every believer to be baptized. If you believe in Christ and you've chosen to follow Christ, then you need to get baptized. And we'd love to help you with that. Well, God bless you. As you follow our Lord Jesus Christ this week, follow Him well. Don't just walk by faith. Run by faith. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. And keep the faith. And we'll see you next time. Hope to see you this Wednesday for our Wednesday night Bible study. God bless you.